Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. This is episode number 17 with Dr. Brian Burke, another return guest for me, uh, just a really awesome, uh, kind of curious, thoughtful uh, higher ed faculty member that uh, yeah, I just really appreciate talking to. Really appreciate that he uh, shares my love of Star Wars novelizations. Uh, they do hold a special place in my heart. Read them a lot in uh, high school and uh, obviously just a huge Star Wars fan in general. But uh, besides that, talk all about a lot of great stuff uh, just to get to know Brian a little bit better and showcase the uh, super cool guy that he is. So uh, as always, check out all the cool stuff that we talk about in the show notes. And after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 17 with Dr. Brian Burke. It's an honor to have our good friends at SwiftKick be a sponsor of the podcast because I've seen their work firsthand and it's truly unlike any student leadership training I've experienced. They've been voted best student leadership program unprecedented five times, so you know they must be doing something right. As a bonus for our listeners, SwiftKick is giving a $500 discount off their normal speaking fee if you mention High Red Geek when you contact them. I highly recommend their trainings for your campus as your students will be talking about it for months afterwards. It's really great stuff. Check them out, swiftkickhq.com to learn more and let them know I sent you. Now, back to the show. So yeah, we'll go ahead and dive right in here. Um, so yeah, I'll link out uh, again to the other episode that we did um, before, just so people can get a little bit of your background from there. But if, if you want to also just give uh, your introduction and your professional journey, we'll try to segue a little bit from that to kind of uh, focus on your college experience, whether that's undergraduate or graduate coursework and that sort of thing. Uh, but kind of just give that Cliff Notes version of how you got to be where you are today. I'm going to kind of start in the present and go backwards. So I've been at Murray State University for almost four years now and am up for tenure right now and everything is looking good and got to Murray State after being denied tenure at Louisiana State University uh, where I was a faculty member on the higher ed program. And I should say I'm in the what we call post-secondary ed administration program at Murray State and it's just our title uh, for higher education and student affairs mm-hmm. type of grad program. And so I was at LSU for six years and had a good experience there professionally, uh, definitely kind of figured out what I was doing as a scholar, uh, really worked to focus my work and kind of evolve my work where I had started as a doc student looking kind of very broadly at you know, what, are, what are diversity experiences on college campuses? How do students of color experience a predominantly white institution? And as my work has evolved, as I mentioned, really looking more and more at less of what are those experiences, but how do we address those experiences in a way that reduces some of the negativity mm-hmm. that people from marginalized populations experience on campuses. So focusing much more on social justice and not just because it's like the, the invoke thing to look at in our field right now, um, but really thinking critically about social justice from the perspective of how do we work to eliminate these systemic issues in college campuses. 
Uh, and so then kind of continuing the, the trek backward, I did my doc work at the University of Alabama. And as I said, focused very much on diversity and how students experience college campuses, students from minoritized backgrounds. Uh, I worked in residence life while I was working on my doctorate. And prior to working in res life at Alabama, I was a live-in hall director at the University of South Carolina, and, which is where I got my master's degree in student personnel services. And that's where everything started for me, uh, was, was that master's program. Uh, as an undergrad, I was involved in student government and campus activities type of stuff, but never lived on campus. And so when I started looking at wanting to go to grad school and kind of figured out that, hey, I can do student affairs and that's like a real career, which is cool, I kind of had this thought that, well, I need to learn about the residential experience because I, I didn't have that myself. And so when I went on for my master's and interviewed for assistantships, I was really hoping to find a way into the res life world really for the purpose of learning. Um, and not that I felt like I was called to be a residence life professional or anything like that. I just, I, I wanted to learn that experience by having the experience. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting. Yeah. Just that like you didn't, cause I think a lot of people come up that way through undergrad that they were an RA or lived, you know, they might've lived on campus or something that, um, that you, yeah, you kind of almost sought that out just purely yeah. for like, yeah, I just want to be there. Like, you know, just almost like an immersive learning experience for, you know, just being in higher education and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty cool that you, you did get the opportunity to do that. Um, so I guess, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm curious if, yeah, you obviously got turned on to a career in higher education, student affairs, and, you know, you've kind of gone forward on that path. Was there anything kind of you know, any anecdote or kind of morsel of like a, a thing that you learned from a mentor or class that really has like driven you kind of forward with what you've chosen to, to focus in, like anything that was just like really impactful, um, you know, like what it gave you personally and or professionally. Yeah. I've been thinking about kind of what was it about college, the undergraduate experience that got me here today mm -hmm. to 2018. And I was, so I, I was just at our state student affairs conference uh, for the College Personnel Association of Kentucky, which is one of ACPA state chapters. And somebody made the comment that if you look at research and or even anecdotal stuff that we see in Inside Higher Ed and the Chronicle, so much of what folks retain and remember from undergrad had nothing to do with their classes. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was actually a mix. Uh, I don't know how much content I recall from classes, just like I don't know how much content I recall from leadership seminars and things like that from the, the student affairsy stuff that I was involved with. But there are definitely lessons that I got from, from both in-class and out-of-class experiences. And I actually emailed my undergraduate advisor not too long ago. Uh, I actually email her every so often, just kind of give her a reminder that you know, Dr. Rook, that there are things that you did as a professor that I do today. <laughs> and I think it's, re it's important to let folks know the impact that they had. Um, and I saw a write-up for, for a, a professor that I had for film studies in my senior year 
And I just started thinking about, okay, what what did I get from that other than a greater appreciation for film and and the, what we can glean from studying film? But I tell you, so Dr. Murloc was my film professor, and he was just so enthusiastic. He was excited about what he was teaching. And so just one example, that's something I try to bring into my classes. I want students to feel like they see that I'm excited about what we're studying in that class. Because I'm sure we've all been in that class where, and I tell the students I had a professor, and he probably tells you something, I don't remember his name. He would come in, put the book on the podium, and read from the textbook. (laughs) And that was our class session. Wow. And so students kind of sit there and they giggle. I'm like, no, that's real. But I, I, I hope that you leave this class Maybe you don't remember the content, but maybe there's some lesson that you get from the class. And part of that comes from that enthusiasm piece. Right. And then I'll share one other lesson from my master's program. Uh, one of the faculty members from our program just passed away. His name was Dr. Michael Sutton. And one of the things that I, I got from classes with him was that it's important to be kind to people. And he would always use the example of, you know, be kind to the custodial staff and the maintenance staff because they have access to your office. I thought, okay, that that's a good lesson. Mm-hmm. But then there's, there's another piece. It's not just about that tangible, you better watch yourself type of thing to be as a motivation to be kind, but that reminder that we're all connected and we're all working for the same purpose. Uh, and so that's actually something I got from my assistantship in res life at South Carolina uh, was that, we're all working toward the same purpose. No matter what your role is in the organization or at the university, we're all there for the same reason. And so it's important to keep that in mind. And when you keep that in mind, hopefully it'll be a reminder that you just be nice to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, just even on your campus, you know, at your institution, sort of like, you know, rising tide raises all the ships of like, you know, we're all working together. Well, we're all sort of like, you know, helping each other. And, uh, you know, if we have like expertise or resources that we could give each other or something, it's, you know, only going to be beneficial for all of us to be able to, you know, be supported to do our best work. And, you know, yeah, that can take shape in a lot of different ways. And, um, yeah, just like what you were saying. I mean, yes, it's just that be kind aspect, but then with the, you know, the enthusiasm piece, like that energy is always going to be kind of contagious and infectious just when, you know, in any aspect of our jobs and stuff. And it's certainly a big thing for me is just that yeah, kind of nerdiness, the, the geeking out and all that is that like, you know, you find that angle to whatever you're talking about that you can really plug into and kind of, you know, kind of uh, build that out. Cause yeah, it's like, you might not be as excited about one thing, especially if you're teaching, if it's like, all right, I have to teach this course, like this week we're doing this. I really like that. This other week, I don't, you know, I'm not really as into that, but like, try to find some some angle to it or application that you can get um, excited about. Because, yeah, it's like your two examples, like you've had both kind of polar ends of, you know, uh, what that can look like, whether, you know, someone's doing it really well or not so well. But, um, yeah, so I think it's – that's definitely it. I, I keep reiterating it because it's like I just want to remind myself and just make sure I'm <laughs> highlighting sort of like, you know, with this podcast I want to show, you know, yeah, like how we can bring – our enthusiasms into our work and how our hobbies kind of benefit our lives and just kind of, you know, some, some overlap between where our passions and our strengths kind of intersect and stuff like that. So it's just like all that stuff. Cause I think it's definitely a, uh, a great asset to have that enthusiasm just 
in our worlds and in our work and in our lives, um, you know, whatever it might be. But, um, and so I guess, yeah, with all, with all that, you know, where you're at now, um, you know, what do you enjoy most about your current work? You know, like what's keeping you motivated and excited? Um, and maybe it is, you know, trying to find those angles about how to really bring in kind of a, uh, positive energy and kind of enthusiasm to um, the things that you do. But yeah, just kind of what, what's, uh, you know, some of the parts that you enjoy most about your current work. So when I think about my work now, um, Murray State is a teaching institution that is first and foremost in, in the work that we do as faculty. And thinking about that focus and I mean, it's driven home in everything that we do. Um, when I was hired, the provost at the time um, at new faculty orientation, kind of his message to new faculty was that above all else, be known as a good teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's really that one. That's what what one what led me to want to pursue a doctoral degree was to to be a teacher and to teach in this type of program in a master's program. And so, what what really gets me excited and what I enjoy about this work kind of in this space is the ability to really focus on, okay, what do I want students to get from this set of readings for a particular class? Or, okay, they're writing this paper. Beyond the, the process of writing a paper, what do I really want them to get out of it? So I feel like I'm really able to think critically about what I want them to get. Um, and so something uh, that I do it's so funny. I, I see sometimes see colleagues, and this has been true of, of different places I've been. Kind of roll in a couple of days before classes, update the dates on their syllabus. They're ready. To get, they're not changing the textbook. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes I might do that as well. But what I've really gotten into in the last couple of years is really thinking about okay, what's new? What's hot in terms of scholarship on our field? And depending on the class, where does it fit? Does so? There, there's been a lot more. There, be, there are now seems like there are more spaces for s- scholars to really engage in some some critical conversations about trans students in higher education, trans mm-hmm. faculty, trans staff. And so, I want to make sure that the students in my classes are exposed to that outstanding scholarship and so i look for ways how can i bring in those those perspectives that we they may not be getting in other classes they may not get in other spaces um and so i really enjoy that opportunity to to think about okay what are the connections between these disparate areas of scholarship that are all connected to higher education and student affairs and you know where do they fit in the courses that i teach Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's yeah. To a certain extent, if you build, I'm sure, like if you build a good course, it's like yeah, like most of the stuff there is just like that's what we're doing. That's good stuff to know, and you know, we're not gonna always try to like reinvent the wheel. But yeah, it's like at least go through a little bit more uh, deliberately. So, like you said, like update things because it could be like, well, yeah, with this concept, and again, maybe that's where you can bring the enthusiasm. And it's like, oh yeah, there's really like a current event that's going on that you know, uh, represents this really well versus, yeah, just kind of like carbon copying year after year after year. And I think there is, I know that's definitely for me, like, 
kind of that yearning for kind of like a an application of a concept or like putting mm-hmm. something into into context where it's like, yeah, like this, you know, thing, you know, this is where it's been going over time and where we are currently with, you know, uh, stuff that I mean, yeah, like higher ed is it's been around for a while. There's a lot of context to look over. And I think we shouldn't just like, you know, stop it at a certain point where it's just like, well, I mean, that's like when the theories were developed or what, you know, like, it's like, no, there's like, you know, current applications of like, well, how does this represented now? Or, uh, yeah, like how would we reinvent something if we're, you know, to sort of come up with the theory now or something. But, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of room for, you know, yeah, just being like, what's, what's going on now? Let's, let's, you know, bring that in one way or another. But, um, so I guess, yeah, so we talked a lot about, you know, just sort of like enthusiasm, I think, and sort of that, that energy professionally. Um, so I guess I'm curious, you know, maybe it's stuff that's still kind of in the professional realm, but, you know, if it's other stuff personally, you know, like what are you geeking out about currently? I know when we talked last time for um, the other podcast, we were talking about like adult learners and um, I'm not sure if there is um, – just certain kind of like uh, student populations like that, that you're really like kind of delving into deeper or just like pure kind of personal fun hobbies that you're geeking out about currently, you know, stuff that you've been into for a while or just discovered, but yeah, just kind of lay that landscape out for us here, I guess. So like just the things that you're really uh, getting excited about lately, whether it's, I guess, uh, yeah, personal or professional. Yeah. So, I guess something I've really been geeking out about, and it's connected to this idea of being at a teaching institution, is the idea of gamification in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've really been digging into that in, in a, a few different forms. So last spring, in spring of 2017, I had a class that I offered. It was online, and I treated it as an immersive game experience. And so students assumed a role for being a consultant for a, a board of trustees for an institution that was – they're bringing a new president in to, to clean up a mess of an institution. And so as students went through the game experience, they had to discover different pieces of information, uh, maybe sift through things to, to determine what's really most relevant. So newspaper clippings, things like that. Uh, budget reports, and then couple that type of stuff together that's you know, information that's about this fictitious institution, blend it together with readings as they go through the course, and prepare some guiding documents for this new faculty member coming in. And that that was a, it was a lot of fun to put that together. It was a, it was a big challenge to put it together. So that it just didn't become, okay, do these readings, then do this little activity, then go on to the next thing. I wanted to make sure that, like with a role-playing game, the the player, is, the gamer, is progressing as they go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this semester I'm teaching the same course, but it's face-to-face. It's live. And so there, I still have the game element built in. And so as we're having our class discussions... I say, okay, it's time for us to start to put some of these pieces together to guide this new president uh, or to provide her with the information that she needs to assume this role and write the ship. Um, And so it's been really interesting to do that in in these two different realms, the online realm versus the the face-to-face realm. Um, 
and it requires some different different approaches. Um, but it, it's been a lot of fun, and I, I guess you know it's something I've gotten into in the last couple of years. Um, I actually probably read up on gamification and did a lot of research around it for about a year and a half or so before I made the leap and really dove in last spring for a full course. Um, but I've, I think I've always engaged in some type of gamification or game-based play in my classes. Um, I've never, that this was the first time I'd done a full class that was a, structured around a game, but I've always had some sort of gamed element in my classes, whether it's, you know, I, I think a lot of us in who come from student affairs programs are used to case studies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that can be a gamed type of experience. You're assuming a particular role. You're having to think through, okay, what are the alternatives? If I do this, does that then facilitate other things happening like a domino effect? Um, so that's very much a, a gamed type of thing. Um, and so, it's, I'm, I'm really into it. I actually um, have a book chapter coming out, I think it's sometime this year, um, about gamification and how it can be a useful tool to help engage critical thinking and other higher order thinking skills. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's really, I mean, that's like a right proper thing to geek out about is, you know, gamification. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd uh, done some podcast episodes previously about that. I'll have to link out to those if people are curious. But yeah, I mean, again, just geeking out about a system like gamification, which can uh, kind of nurture enthusiasm in others, you know, might be subject matters that people be like, oh, I don't know if I'm into that or not. But it's like you put this system together that uh, allows them to interact with it in a different way and, you know, incentivizes really like getting into it. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really smart and really cool. Um, yeah, and I, and I hope more people do it because, yeah, I think, like you said, people are probably primed for it in terms of either uh, delivering the content. They probably do similar things or, uh, you know, that's obviously like the goal they want to achieve through uh, that system. And then, you know, whether we know it or not, a lot of the things in our lives are gamified you know it's all these different apps that it's like oh i can get badges and you can get like mm-hmm. perks and stuff it's like whether we know it or not we're very familiar with these concepts so it's like why not bring it into you know the education realm yeah um so yeah it's really cool that you're exploring that more um but uh well yeah and i guess with those sort of things you know if you want to kind of uh mention anything else that are like hobbies and interests of yours like how do you see those things positively contributing to your life i mean i i can kind of see the the direct line like you're exploring these other ways of kind of delivering educational content which is then engaging your students more um and you know creating kind of more positive outcomes that way but you know anything else just in terms of you know like those hobbies and interests that you have you know and being curious and being someone who is thoughtful and putting these things together like how is that kind of continually uh, added value to your life yeah so i'm really into woodworking as a, a com- hobby that is completely separate from anything to do with my professional roles. And what I like, what I really enjoy about woodworking is it requires a, a very close focus on what I'm doing. Um, otherwise, I lose a finger. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's a, it, for me, it's a good way to decompress, to really not have to think about other stuff that's going on 
because if I if my mind wanders, there's a very good chance I can injure myself or worse. And so when I'm woodworking, it's it's about being focused in another realm, in another place. But it also kind of thinking about the, the that space of engaging different ways of thinking and in engaging curiosity. Um, woodworking is all about problem solving for me. I, I usually, I've right now, I'm very much. I, I build things from a very utilitarian perspective. It, so um, we had a week where we were out because we got snowed in mm-hmm. in January. But so the first thing I did, I shoveled a path as best I could to my workshop. So I went out there and I made some cabinets for my wife's craft room. Well, I couldn't go to Lowe's and get materials. Well, I was in the process of taking apart something else that the previous homeowner left behind. So I now had this material that I could repurpose. But I had to make sure that I I was very intentional about how I made my cuts to make sure that I got all the pieces I needed from this material that I had. And it worked out I had just enough. But if I'd just gone in and said, well, I'm going to kind of get whatever looks prettiest. Um, also, I had to I had a, an eight foot long piece that had a little bit twist, a little bit of a twist to it. So I had to think about okay, are there places I can cut it to where I've got then flatter pieces that where I can compensate for the twist. So woodworking, like I said, it provides that space where I'm engaged in problem solving. Um, I, I joke around sometimes that I go to my workshop and I make sawdust. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I do. I just go out there and I'm like, well, I need to break down these these pieces and I've got 15 minutes of free time. So, yeah, I'm basically just making sawdust at that moment. Um, but but it's a way for me to engage my brain in, in some different ways. Not that I don't engage in problem solving uh, in my professional life, um, but but it's, it's different. Um, and also, I've, I don't have any training in woodworking beyond watching this old house and the new Yankee workshop uh, when I was growing up. Uh, my dad had a workshop and you know, we, you know, we, we watched the PBS shows and then go in the workshop and I'd basically watch him hit his hand with the hammer and cuss. <laughs> so that was my training was how, yeah. to, how to curse as, as a result of hurting oneself in the workshop. But so I don't have that, any of that formal training and I've been very fortunate to have opportunities to, to acquire tools uh, either through my, my dad had a, a friend who was um, getting on in years and deter- had some deteriorating health. My dad would go help him with something. And next thing you know, my dad's bringing a tool home. Um, and then next thing I know, those tools are ending up in my workshop. Um, and then also as a faculty member, you know, our job is largely conceived of is, is, uh, August through May. So then summer teaching and things like that offer a little extra financial resource to, to get my hands on things and everything that I get, it's, there's a utilitarian perspective for it, but also there's an opportunity to learn something new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really great stuff. Yeah. Cause it's just, I always, and I think this is almost something like that for me, or just like the writing that I do. It's just like a creative hobby. You know, it kind of 
brings in uh, that energy to kind of flourish in your mind to then, like you said, it's like, it's not like I'm not problem solving or doing this in my everyday work life, but it's like doing that probably, it just like opens up the windows in your mind to kind of like let some creative air energy, you know, like versus if you're just kind of like, you know, maybe just more in a paradigm for most of the time and then otherwise just uh, kind of just like passively, like, you know, like watching TV or just, you know, you're not really engaging your mind in a different way. It's just like having some little punctuations in your week of just like, yeah, I get to work with my hands. I get to make something. I get to, um, yeah, like you said, like just focus and, uh, you know, it really does require that precision because, um, yeah, I think sometimes in our life, you know, and, and that can be okay. It applies to different things. But if you're just sort of like, like, oh, I'm doing this thing and we tried it and it got close enough and that was fine. It's like, you know, imprecise and sometimes or like just in kind of these social sciences, there's never an exact answer. But it's right. like, I think you're woodworking. It's like, you know, this measurement of this thing goes in this, you know, place. And, it's you know, like it needs to be precise and kind of, you know, uh, you know, that, yeah, it just is a, a, a different world. And I think that's a very, very good one that, like, allows you, yeah, just to kind of click into a different mode. Um, that, yeah, I just, like, generally always, like, encourage people because I've, I've met some people who are just like, I just don't know, like, I don't know what my hobbies are. Like, I don't have any or I don't do anything. Um, I think certainly, like, watching TV and movies, like, I do that a lot, but I also try to do other things. And, you know, uh, just even makes me think of just because it's like it could be anything of, like, you know, my wife does like adult coloring books now. It's like, that's a hobby. Yes, please yeah. do that. Like, just like, you know, like, cause yeah, I think it for her, it's like, you know, mindless, but she does kind of go into the plan of like how she wants to color or whatever. Um, but yeah, and sometimes it's like, and like you said, you're just kind of making sawdust. Like you don't always have to make a thing that is going to be functional and will, you know, whatever, but you can just kind of go around and mess around and learn and kind of, you know, um, yeah, like when you do need to make something, it's like, yeah, I, I you know, messed up those other things or I'm just kind of seeing how this thing works. So it's like now I'm going in, if I do want to uh, do something with more purpose and focus and precision and all that, you're kind of, uh, you know, yeah, you've gotten a lot of practice and all of that. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, uh, so I, my, I'm curious now, just as a, a brief tangent, what is the kind of the most favorite thing that you have built in your woodworking shop? I think probably what what I show off the most are so I, I built the I built some wall cabinets as I said for my wife's craft room. But prior to that, um, I built a, a series of base cabinets and uh, I, I made her countertops out of wood hmm. for her craft room. And, and one of them, it's a like a T shape type where there's a, a peninsula that comes out in the wall for cutting fabric and, and so she's into sewing and mm-hmm. and a lot of different things like that with embroidery and such um so so making all that is something that uh, i'd show off quite a bit when people come over um and like i said I'm, i mean I, i'm largely into utilitarian things um when, once we get some more of that stuff done we bought a fixer up our house mm-hmm. that needs needs a lot of work i'm gonna make the kitchen cabinets myself um but but once we get some of that type of thing those type of things done, um, I want to start transitioning into making furniture. Um, so like curio cabinets and like standalone bookcases, um, and really think about the materials that I'm using and thinking critically about not just using plywood, but yeah, using solid wood and then you think have to think about how does the wood move and if i use this type of joint in this species 
um, is that a, is that a problem? Um, and I don't know the answers to that stuff yet. That's part of the learning and part of what excites me about it is that um, I've not delved into that area of woodworking just yet. Um, but I, I, I kind of understand that, okay, there are things I need to think about first before I just start cutting up some wood and fastening it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And I think, uh, yeah, just that, I can just imagine, I get, like, that sense of pride where it's like eventually you just walk around like, yeah, I built that, I built that, yep. and just that. like, And, yeah, if it's like you're repurposing certain things, like, you know, and then, yeah, just kind of, because, yeah, there's, you don't know the answer yet, but it's like this will come together in a way because like this piece has to go with, the, you know, like and it's going to be kind of a finite way that, you know, it'll come together. And I mean, that you can start from wherever you want, but it's like this needs to eventually become like a table. So like yeah. there's only really one way that eventually these pieces will go together and I will figure it out. Um, and then just, yeah, that pride and the confidence building of like, I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I have confidence that I can. Um, that's right. And uh, yeah, that's that's really awesome. Um well, I guess now, so just kind of generally, um, whether it's kind of higher ed related or, you know, woodworking related or what, uh, but uh, like, what is, what's the content that you're consuming? Like, what are you reading, watching, listening to? Like, what's the stuff that's grabbing your attention lately? So I've gotten back into Star Wars, novelizations of the Star Wars saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really the, the novels that seek to fill some of the holes or the gaps in the timeline of the story of the, the movies that, that we consume. Um, and so I recently read, um, now I'm blanking on the name of it. It's the, basically the prequel to rogue one. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful story, really well done. And then I, I discovered that the author of that book, um, wrote another star Wars story about grand Moff Tarkin, Mm-hmm. Uh, and the title is Tarkin, and so I'm I'm finishing it up right now. I I almost finished it yesterday, um, so well, probably one more reading session. I'll be finished with it. Um, but I'm usually reading multiple things at once. Uh, I'm also reading. Speaking of woodworking, Good Clean Fun, which is one of Nick Offerman's books about woodworking, mm-hmm. um, and I've got to say it's hilarious. Um, you can like if you've ever seeing Nick Offerman on something, whether it's Parks and Rec or something else, just kind of his delivery that, that he has, you can picture him reading the book to you. Right. Uh, because the way he wrote it is very much as the cadence of his speech pattern is reflected in his writing style. So it's really fun to read it. Um, but it's also, I find it a little bit distracting because I'm, I'm picturing, okay, am I picturing this as Nick Offerman, a dude who's really into woodworking as writing this book, or am I picturing it as his character from parks and rec <laughs> and trying to separate those two because, you know, Nick Offerman, the person you know, is a little bit different than, uh, that character from parks and rec. Um, but you know, it's really cool though, because he's kind of telling the story about how he got into woodworking and how he's learned to refine his craft over the years. Um, and then kind of gets into, so here, here's some pro some plans for some projects you can build. I've built these two. Um, and here are the lessons I learned as I built them. And hopefully you won't make the same mistakes that I did. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Cause it, 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 yeah, there's a lot of overlap with him and, uh, 
Ron Swanson, like, but they are yeah, distinct Ron, people, yeah. yeah. Um, which is like the fact for many of the characters on uh, Parks and Recreation is that they're like, I think, and, and that may, I think that adds something is that like there's a lot of overlap with the actor and their character. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely like with all that other stuff now since he's moved on, you know, that show has ended and everything. Yeah, it's cool to see what he uh, what he gets up to with, uh, yeah, especially his woodworking stuff, which uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those big overlaps into the Ron Swanson character, but, um, man, that's cool stuff. I guess, yeah, any, anything else that you're like, you're watching, any, watching like shows, movies or any like, uh, podcasts that you're uh, into lately. So one of the challenges I have with kind of consuming audio and video content is if it's not on Disney junior, I have a hard time getting TV time to watch it. Because uh, we have a five-year-old, and um, she is very much a daddy's girl and has me wrapped around her finger. Uh, and so it's difficult for me to get that time. Mm. Um, I also really don't have a commute. We live about three minutes from campus. And so where where when I was at LSU, I had at least a half-hour commute. That was a great time to consume podcasts or, or, or other content. Um for a while, I was trying to keep up with um, You Got This, which is a, a podcast by Dr. Katie Linder mm-hmm. um, that, that's geared very much toward academicians. Um, and it's I love her content, but I found that when I was listening while I was trying to work, I wasn't focusing on work because I was focusing on what she was sharing. Um, and so as I thought about starting a podcast myself um, – I thought, okay, what about so? So there's so many podcasts that are half hour to an hour in length, some maybe more, and, and they're very much billed as, "Well, this is great content to consume while you're commuting." Well, what, what if there are other folks like me who don't really have that commute? But you know, I've probably got 15 minutes I can spare mm-hmm. here and there in my day, um, and, and and so Katie Linder's stuff is generally in that same time range of that 15 minutes. Um, I just have to have that space in the day where I can carve out that time, take a little break and just sit and let myself enjoy that content. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's an interesting point to bring up. Cause it's like, I'll do that a lot. Like I'll be like, Oh, I need to do dishes or I need to like, you know, do some laundry or something and I'll put a podcast on and like certain ones. Yeah. I get, I, I sense myself getting like, too distracted because I really want to pay attention. Um, so yeah, I think it certainly makes more sense maybe for some rather than others where it's like, no, like really like focus your attention and maybe like if it is maybe some, some tasks that you can do mindlessly or something But um, yeah, like if you can just give it your full attention. Like if you want to just like take a break and go for a walk and just listen, you know, that would be good versus trying to like, like, Oh, well let me like answer emails while I'm like listening to a podcast. Like, no, that does require like mental energy and you're probably not, yeah. fully, you're not fully doing either. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, commutes are a typical thing or yeah, I imagine just like, you know, yeah, walking or like doing the dishes or like folding laundry. It's like, sure. Like, you know, that's something you can put in the background, but some, you know, deserve our full attention, you know, try to give them the space to do that. Um, but, um, yeah, I recently kind of discovered, uh, her podcast have been like cherry picking some episodes about like you know different topics that she uh talks about but um 
so yeah, we'll link out to that one um, for folks to check out. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll wrap up here um, kind of with the, the kind of optimistic uh, ending <laughs> question here. Um, just something that you're looking forward to in your job and life or the world. Um, just anything that you're just uh, kind of looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah, I try to be an optimistic person, uh, which uh, although if any former students or current students listen to this. They may question that because I'm sometimes labeled as being very cynical uh-huh. um, and because I bring in a lot of critical perspectives into my professional work. Um, so something I, I'm, I'm really excited about and looking forward to is I'm working on a book-length project um, that is based on some, a study I worked on last summer where I conducted interviews, and I've got data from uh, 50 individual interviews with student affairs folks uh, from every segment of the field in terms of experience in the field. So uh, graduate students, new professionals, mid-managers, directors, vice presidents, faculty, um, and a wide swath of institution types and functional areas represented. And I, what, and what we talked about this, in those interviews were their perceptions of the role of social justice in student affairs practice. And where do they see social justice fitting in kind of our professional values and where they think we are as a field when it comes to that actually being a central value? Um, so I'm real excited to, to get that rolling. Uh, I've done some, some of the preliminary analysis and um, getting ready to dive in and kind of go, go through and do a, the, deep anal- the deep qualitative analysis of all those interviews. Yeah. Yeah, man, that could be. Yeah, that could be huge. I mean, just to see across the board. Um, yeah, just both of those aspects of just like, yeah, like the importance of it and like where they see it right now. And so, I guess it. I don't know if that'll be kind of how you frame it as like kind of past, present, future, or whatever. But I mean, yeah, it's just like you said. It's it's kind of like in vogue. You know, it's part of the zeitgeist a lot right now. But um, yeah, and it's just like that how you framed it I, I feel like that's definitely a um a fallacy that people have is like people who are really like critical um it's like oh i imagine they're just like pessimistic because they're always just kind of saying like oh you know we should change this this isn't right whatever it's like well no i just like i believe in the potential of us to be better so i just want to like hold us to that standard so i'm just gonna like you know be more outward i guess with that and just kind of provide a you know critical analysis of things and um really try to push us moving forward uh continuously so um yeah part of that is just kind of doing that kind of deep dive examination and seeing across the board and not just like you know sometimes yeah you'll see stuff and it's just like it's a very small segment it's like well it's not really applicable to you know it's other institution type or you know uh just kind of the uh the field as a whole or anything like that but um yeah so that's really excited that um you know you'll be working on that and that will uh I guess be out in the world in uh, the somewhat near future. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, and I guess I, I, I didn't acknowledge it before. Um, it just circled back in my mind. Uh, I very much appreciate that you read Star Wars novelizations. I feel like I need to get back <laughs> into that because I did that like so much uh, before they did the whole kind of like, you know, washing away of the, uh, you know, the continuity when, uh, you know, Disney bought Lucasfilm and yep. stuff. So like I read a lot of those books like when I was in high school because like, oh, I got to read stuff anyway. I'm going to like read Star Wars novelizations of the expanded universe. So um, 
Yeah, I appreciate that. I guess it's now it's better. It's a little bit more like cohesive. Like I think they're designing it a little bit better than they did before. But um, yeah, there's a, it's just a big, awesome universe in Star Wars. Yeah, and that's part I of mean, what I love about it. <laughs> yeah, I was reading those back in the late 80s and into the 90s. And depending on which series you got into, some of them kind of strayed a little bit from, I guess, what we would now consider Star Wars canon. Although, like I say, it's like that 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 concept has changed since um, Disney purchased the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, so one something I do appreciate is that there is more cohesiveness now that you, know, you can watch the films, read the, the, the novels and you feel like there's, there is a, a clear connection and a continuity across them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think generally uh, for both of us, I'm sure uh, also looking forward to more great star Wars content in the future. Um, Cause uh yeah, I think they're they're right in the ship a little bit. Uh, everyone is like all kind of savored on the prequels, but um, yeah, I mean they've got like novels, they've got comics, they've got uh, a lot of good content coming out, and we're kind of getting spoiled with good Star Wars movies every year now. So yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. Well, um, yeah, I'll link out to everything that we talked about in this episode in the show notes. Uh, just really appreciate your time, Brian, and um, yeah, it's always good talking to you. So um, all right, you too, Dustin. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect Edu Podcast Network bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.